Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Glad you're here this morning. It's awesome to be uh, here gathered together on Christmas Day. We're going to look at God's Word together. So if you've got a Bible or one on your phone or something, open it up, turn it on. John chapter 1. As we remember the significance of Christmas, the significance of Advent, this, the name of this Advent series we've been in here at Brook Hills is uh, Into Darkness, God Sent Light. And we've let the Old Testament preacher, the 8th century BC preacher named Isaiah, uh, talk about the light, prophesy about the light of Messiah that would come 750 years after he was writing. And so it seemed fitting on Christmas Day that we would get to see the Apostle John say, and he came, and I saw him. John, the apostle, the writer, was a friend of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. He was the last apostle to be alive at the end of the first century, and he writes these wonderful words that we find in John chapter 1. It reads this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Skip down to verse 9. The true light, this is a reference to Jesus Christ, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. So we look at this text briefly here this morning. The question is, what do you do with Christmas? What do you actually do with Christmas? Because even though these words were written by the Apostle John, a friend and disciple of Jesus, and they were written 2,000 years ago, the range of responses to the arrival of Jesus are about the same today as they were at the time when Jesus arrived originally in the first century. And we're just gonna look at three ways to respond to Jesus. The first is this, declaring Advent. The declaration of the arrival, the bold declaration that he has come. That's declaring Advent. That's what we're doing this morning. We've gathered here. We're declaring our faith. We are holding our confession uh, without wavering. We're holding it fast in the way we sing, the carols, the truths that we sing, the, the statements around which we gather in the reading of God's word. We don't just passively consider the claims that Jesus has come. We rejoice in the claim that Jesus has come. We live and our lives depend on this being the truth. That's what John was doing back then in the first century. He's declaring it. These are confessions of faith, the reality that God has come into the world in the flesh. The apostle John is in announcement mode here in John chapter one. You can't find a passage in the Bible that more clearly tells you Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. He is God. He is the eternal Son of God. He, he was forever in eternity past. Before he showed up in the manger as a child, he existed in eternity past with God his Father and with the Holy Spirit. He was the eternal Son of God through whom the worlds were made. And John says that eternal Son 
took up our humanity. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, became truly human. But John, in this first chapter of his gospel, he's quick to, to talk about the significance of how God sent his son into the world and that he sent him for a specific purpose. Into darkness, God sent light. So that's the specific purpose of the arrival of Jesus is to turn on the lights. God sent his son to the world to hit the lights. John chapter one, verse four, if you've got your Bible still open, one verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. And then if you fast forward or you just look down in your notes, in John chapter eight, you get later in the same gospel and it says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness but will have the light of life. Jesus was saying, I'm the light. Isaiah prophesied that the light would come. I am the light of the world. The light has arrived in me. You think about walking in darkness because that's what texts talked about in Isaiah 9 and other places. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. If you've ever walked in darkness, and I imagine most of us have, that can be tricky. It can be bumpy. It can actually even be painful. Literal darkness. Walking in darkness hurts. <laughs> it could actually physically hurt you walking. I have a friend who, um, uh, he, his wife loves to move the furniture around a couple of times a year, just reset the furniture, and doesn't announce in advance that she intends to move the furniture. She's a, she's a night owl, and so he might go to bed, and she's just up late, and she just gets a hankering. It's time. And she'll reset all the furniture, and then she'll go to bed. Well, he says on a couple of occasions, he's awakened at night to go get a glass of water only to find himself toppling over the couch because the couch is in a whole new place or stubbing his toe on the new place of the coffee table. Wasn't a coffee table here before, used to be able to pass right this way, but wife decided apparently last night we're gonna have a whole new arrangement for the living room. Walking in darkness can be a very painful thing. Home Alone basically is a story of two people walking in darkness and it's a painful trip, right? What you don't see, they don't see what's around the corner. They don't see that when they're about to step on the ground there's Christmas ornaments on the ground, right? They don't see that nail sticking up out of the basement staircase. The things that they don't see are going to hurt them and that's why we laugh all the way through the movie. It's just a painful thing, these guys walking around and what they don't see hurts. In the Gospels, especially in John's Gospel, what Jesus loves doing is he loves pointing at things in the world. He's a master illustrator. And Jesus loves pointing at things in the world and saying, that's kind of like why I'm here. So he points in the first eight chapters of John's gospel, Jesus points at wine and the joy that wine brings. He, he points to water and the nourishment that water brings. He points to bread and the sustainment of life that bread brings. And he says, I'm the water. I'm the bread, I'm the joy. And one of his favorite things to say is he is the light. And that's how John opens his gospel is by saying Jesus is the light. John says he's the light of the world. This darkened world now has a light. You know the last chapter of the Old Testament? So if you're reading through the Old Testament, it ends on a, a down note. It ends on a negative note because there's no king on David's throne even though we thought that there would always be a king on David's throne. 
prophecies are about to stop happening and there's gonna be about a 400 period of silence when God hangs up the phone for 400 years only to pick it up on the night that the angels sang over Bethlehem. So 400 years of silence right there at the end of the book of Malachi. Some of the very last words in your Old Testament in Malachi chapter four speaks of the arrival of Messiah, guess how? As the rising of the sun. For those, here's what Malachi says, for those who fear the Lord, the S-U-N, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And Malachi said the effect of the rising of this sun would be joy. He said, you shall go out like leaping with joy like calves from the stall. It's a really awesome picture when you think about these metaphors of Jesus. If you've ever been hungry, you love the part where Jesus says, I'm the bread who satisfies. If you've ever been thirsty, you love the part when Jesus says, anyone who drinks the water that I have will never be thirsty again. But if you've ever known darkness, Jesus has your attention when he says, I am the light of the world. In other words, it's Jesus saying, if you ever look at your own life and you say, how'd I get here? I'm in a really dark place. How did I end up here? What you want is for Jesus to say something like, I am the light of the world. You don't have to walk in darkness. Now I'm here. I can hit the lights. We can walk in the light together. He's not only bread for the hungry and water for the thirsty, he's the light of the world. And he says, anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's an awesome promise, and it's a perfect promise for us to remember on a morning like December the 25th. Isaiah's prophecy, a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. So there's this declaration in John 1, declaring Advent. Second, denying Advent. Denying Advent. And it's in your notes there, or you can look in your Bible. Verse 11 of John chapter 1. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. What's that mean? It means our world doesn't look at Jesus and welcome his rule. That's how it went in the first century. That's about how it's going right now in the 21st century in many places in the world and in many of our lives. We can look at the life of Jesus and the rule of Jesus and say, no thanks, I like running my own life. I would prefer for you not to come in and take the keys uh, and, and lead me, right? We often quote John 3, 16. It's an awesome verse and we should keep quoting it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. It's a great, great verse. But often we don't put it in its broader context. We miss the power of John 3.16 because we don't keep reading what happens next, how the world responds to God's son, Jesus. Three verses after that are these words and it's in your notes. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. That's three verses after God so loved the world. And then you keep reading and it says, well, the, love, the world didn't love him back. The world saw that he was gonna hit the lights and said, no, turn it back off. Why? Because if we live in darkness long enough, light is uncomfortable. Live in darkness long enough, light is uncomfortable. How many of you have seen The Lord of the Rings? Okay, so if you haven't, then I'll try to bring you up to speed on a couple of things. Uh, there's, a, there's a hobbit in there. I'm not gonna give you the whole thing and spoil the ending or anything, but 
there's a hobbit in there whose name is Smeagol, and he's one of the most interesting characters, I think, in the thing, because he's, he's a conflicted character. He comes on the scene, and he's this good hobbit, his best friend. You find out later on, he and his best friend went, went uh, fishing, and they found the ring of power, and the ring of power poisoned his mind, and he goes to a really dark place, and when he goes to that dark place, the darkness actually changes him, even physically. I mean, he takes on different characteristics. His eyes look different. He feeds on different things. Everything changes. And basically, you, you read the story. I'm not going to put up a picture of Smeagol because he'd give the kids nightmares uh, because he becomes something pretty dark, pretty scary looking, right? And you read the story and you're wondering all along, or you watch the movie, you're wondering all along, is he going to become human again? He lost his humanity or a semblance of humanity. Is he ever going to be recovered? Is he ever going to be redeemed? Or will the darkness pull him under? I'm not going to tell you how that ends. But here's the point when we think about it. Because of sin, our eyes naturally adjust to the darkness. And I'll come back and fill that second point in, part of that sentence in, in just a moment. But because of sin, our eyes naturally adjust to the darkness. My, um, my mom raised two sons after our dad passed away. Uh, my, me and my older brother, Paul, he's two years older than me, and, and she was an elementary school teacher. And um, so she didn't have time to fight with boys in the morning and to get us ready to go to school. So she had a couple of, a few weapons, a few tools in her toolkit that she used. And it was basically light, noise, and cold. Uh, and because, again, you just don't have time to negotiate the terms. You need to get up because I need to get to work, and so we're going to do it this way. She hits the lights. She shouts, wake up. So there's lights, noise, and she pulls the covers, right? So it's cold, and it's noise, and it's night. All three of those things combined to be a pretty effective way of getting somebody up. No matter how deep you were in sleep, cold, noise, and light will wake you up. When your parents hit the lights in the morning, what would you do? You winced, right? You, you pulled the covers over and you said, no, turn it back off, right? It's because when you're in the darkness long enough, the darkness becomes comfortable and the light is uncomfortable. That's kind of what John 1 is talking about. It's like the world had rested in darkness for so many centuries and then Jesus comes and he's the light of the world and the world pulls the covers over its eyes and says, no, that's not comfortable. I don't want to see that. Darkness has become comfortable, because of our sin, our eyes naturally adjust to darkness. Here's that second part, though. But because of grace, our eyes are enabled to adjust to the light. So when the New Testament says things like in 1 John chapter 1, we walk in the light as he is in the light, what it's saying is your eyes, when you're in Christ, can adjust to the light. That's, there's this big theological term called sanctification. Sanctification basically is just another way of saying when we're in Christ, we put our trust in Christ, we start adjusting to where we love the light. We desire the light. We're learning to love, to live in the light. This is where there's this completely different response to Advent. We move from denying Advent, third, to desiring and receiving Advent. Desiring and receiving. You see that verse in your notes there, verse 11 and into 13. People did not receive him at the end of that verse, but to all who did. So people didn't, but some did. These didn't, but to all who did receive him. You see what happens? He gave the right to be children of God, born not of the flesh, not of the will of man, but born of God. What's that saying? 
That's saying if you love God here this morning, you didn't come to love God under your own steam. You didn't reach that by just a series of logical conclusions. God hit the lights in Jesus and then God by his spirit turned on the lights on the inside of you, places where you don't have access to turn those things on, but God can reach in and turn stuff on that we can't turn it on, and he turns the lights on, and we come running to Jesus. You didn't pull that off in your own strength if you love Jesus. If you're singing these carols with affection in your hearts and joy in Jesus, God did something. God did that. He gets the praise. Here's the point. No one says yes to Jesus without the grace of God moving within Nobody says yes to Jesus under their own steam without the grace of God moving within. To all who did receive, God gave the right. And it says they were born into God's family, not by their own will, not by their own choosing, not by the will of the flesh, but by God. God did something and it changed everything. I, I, we can't move toward God without grace. We can't move toward God without his Holy Spirit. I, I heard a story about a teacher who was teaching a Bible course and uh, some of the students in the class, it wasn't an all-Christian class, so there were a number of people in the class who were not Christians. There was one particular student in the class who was uh, the class clown, and he was a heckler, and he would make fun of the things about the Bible that the person was teaching up there. And when they came to John chapter one, and the teacher said something like, unless God does something to a person's heart, this text teaches that that person cannot believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. And that drew this the student out, and he said, that's nonsense. That's absolutely silly. If there's a God, and I'm not saying there is, but if there is a God, I can believe in him whenever I want to. To which the teacher said, I don't agree with that, but you can easily prove me wrong. And he said, what do you mean? He says, well, believe in him. And the student said, what? He says, believe in him now. You can make a fool out of me right now. Believe in Jesus now. And the student says, well, I don't want to. And the teacher said, well, want to want to. And the student said, I don't want to want to. And the teacher said, that's my point. That's all I'm saying. You'll never want to want to run to Jesus unless God does something in your heart to wake you up, to make you alive to him. We're saved by grace, not entitlement. We don't jerk, jerk mercy's chain when we're good and ready. That's not how this works. Advent's mercy and Advent's call are undeserved and unexpected. So here's the point for us this morning. If mercy ever calls you, answer. <laughs> answer immediately. Don't delay. That's why New Testament writers will say things like, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Let me just say to you this morning, if you're hearing the voice of Jesus saying, come to me, believe in me, trust in me. It's Christmas day. What better day to trust in Jesus? And if Jesus is saying that and there's something in you that wants it or there's something in you that wants to want it, go ahead and move forward. <laughs> go ahead and believe to all who receive him. That's what receiving looks like. And John says to everybody who receives him, guess what? you get to be a child forever. You're brought into his forever family. Responding to Christmas by desiring and receiving means, it means we move from saying, I don't want God to come if it means he'll change me. And we move from saying, I don't want God to come if it means he'll change me, to saying, I don't want God to come unless he changes me. 
You see the difference between denying Advent and receiving Advent, desiring Advent, leaning into the arrival of Jesus. God sent light to us, so now what? Now we're called to shine in the world. If you've ever seen an evening vigil where people are standing in darkness and they're holding candles, maybe they're outside and they're all bundled up and they've all got candles and everything around them is dark and the only thing that you see that's lit up are two things, right? The candles and the faces of the people who are holding the candles. It's interesting that Jesus says, I am the light of the world Anyone who follows me, who holds on to me, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's interesting, because if you ask the New Testament the question, who is the light of the world? It has an interesting answer. It says, firstly, Jesus, full stop. Jesus is the light of the world. But then it also says, and all those who have Jesus are the light of the world. Of the world. Matter of fact, Jesus, who said, I am the light of the world in John 8, in Matthew 5 said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. The apostle Paul is writing in the book of Philippians, a letter to the church at Philippi, And in chapter two, he's talking to Christians. And in one sentence, he says, you are children of God and you shine like stars in the world. You shine like lights in the world. It's such a sweet and perfect metaphor that we're driving down the streets of Birmingham and we see lights outside, don't we? Don't you hate it when the lights are turned off? I I hate driving down my street when all the lights have come down. I just really love seeing the Christmas lights, especially at night when you come out at night and you just see those lights popping in the neighborhoods. So just before the Christmas lights come down, drive down your street, drive up and down different places here in Birmingham, and before the Christmas lights come down, let it be a reminder not only of why Jesus came, but what you are made to do now that you've met the light of the world.